Well, welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we're sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Alex Linslade. Um, I'm, I work at Wycliffe New Zealand, Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand, as the communications coordinator and executive assistant to the directors. Um, and I'm joined by my co-host again. My name is Esther Smith. I am the front person of the band Eversmith, and I've been serving as the uh, Next Generation Ambassador for Wycliffe Bible Translators for a long time, and I'm now the Musical Ambassador. And I am here today with our guest, who is actually my dad, Phil Smith. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dad. Yes, well, indeed, I am Phil Smith, and I am Esther's dad. And I'm 71 years of age, and I am, well, I call myself impartially sighted. So some would say legally blind, some would say, you know, partially sighted. But I determine it to be impartial because I, I'm not into fate. You know, I don't kind of feel like, well, how come, why me? You know, how come I ended up with a lack of vision like this? Because my experience has been... I've been quote unquote legally blind since 1974 and God has been awesome and used me and blessed me all through those years and so I'm I've been uh, married going on 36 years and uh, have three adult children uh, Esther's elder sister Sue and Esther herself and her brother Caleb and all of whom, like myself, love Jesus Christ and, and are serving him in our different ways. And uh, I also lead, or I'm the executive producer for our family's artist label. We make original music together. And I am the president for Megamorphic Church, which, funnily enough, is my son's vision. But I serve as the senior minister, but so in essence, in terms of the music and our ministry, I'm working for my kids, which is an awesome experience. Yeah, so it's great to have you with us, Dad, and um, it's kind of awesome to have him because he is and was the catalyst for how the relationship between uh, us as a band and Wycliffe Bible Translators even came to be, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But yeah, Dad was the catalyst, so keep tuned for that. Uh, we love here at the Story of Hope podcast to pray for five nations every time we get together. And so this week we are praying for the nations of Jamaica, Pan, Jordan, Jersey, and Kazakhstan. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you all will pray with us, Father God, we thank you for these nations. We thank you that you are the creator of every nation. Every kindred, tribe, and tongue is your doing. And Lord, I know that amongst these nations, there are 52 people groups without anything or with only portions of your scripture. And so we ask that the work of Bible translation would be brought to completion among these nations. We ask that you would bring about salvation. We ask for workers to go, laborers to get amongst these nations, to develop a heart for these nations and to see your kingdom come in these nations. Thank you, Father God, that your word says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we declare that, we ask for it, we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, it's really cool to have you here with us, Phil. As Esther mentioned, um, you've been 
a lot of the work behind the scenes, not just between Whitliffe and New Zealand, but for this podcast. Um, but yeah, we figured we'd just start with some icebreaker questions. Awesome. Um, so the first one we have for you is, what is the story of how you and your wife got together? Well, it's a story I've never lived down, actually. So <laughs> to, to explain, I around the time when Shona and I first met, I was actually a, a single dad from my past life and uh, I was involved in a local church you know I got saved in 1977 and I've, ever since I've been you know, a local church man and mm. on this particular occasion I had a, a small group of friends and there were three of us in particular which my wife called the three musketeers and uh, we would regularly fast and pray together back for many, many years, we would pray all night long, once most weeks on a Friday night. And also we had a practice of getting up early in the morning to pray. So anyway, my wife was uh, a dental technician doing children's dentistry, and she was from another part of the country. She happened to be in town for, a, for some training for her dental you know, work, and uh, she was looking for something to do while she was in town, so she rang the church, and on this particular occasion, my close friend Rob was down at the church praying early that morning, as we often did together, but on this occasion he was there on his own. Mm. And my wife rang in at about 8 o'clock before Rob went off to work and said, oh, is there anything on this week that I could come along to? Rob had been praying for a wife. And so he was like, hmm, interesting, young woman in town, Christian girl, you know. So anyway, long story short, uh, we had a last night of, the, of a healing crusade on that night, and uh, I was playing in the band, so Shona met Rob, or well, Rob actually picked her up to bring her along to the healing crusade, and at the end of the, end of the healing crusade, meeting I had to pack down the drums and get the packed out but Rob introduced me to Shona and, and I I just said oh hi and there was you know there was the introduction and I didn't think a lot more about it but Rob kept bringing it up during the week uh, about this young woman and we had a Thursday pra that was a Monday night we had our music practice on Thursday night and Rob kept talking about it and I thought well Rob give her a ring and invite her out or something and he was very bashful and shy so I said all right what's the number give me a number I'll give her a call and see what if she wants to come to music practice and so I did that and uh, I rang in and Shona wasn't feeling that well but she answered the phone and I said hi it's Phil Smith and she said, uh, Phil who? I said, you mean you don't know who Phil Smith is? <laughs> I've never lived that down. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's the funny version of it. But that's literally uh, how we first met, despite my rather, my rather crazy Phil Smith approach to introducing myself. <laughs> she came along, and according to my best man, who was the, th the other third member of the Three Musketeers. Apparently, the moment we walked into the music practice room, we often we had some food before the practice started, and apparently Shona and I talked all night long. I mean, she was a trumpet player, I was a drummer, she also sang and played piano, and we both loved winning souls and music and prophecy and all that stuff, and we just talked and talked and talked. And so according to my best man, even though there was quite a bit to work through, before we ended up married, according to my best man, he was like, yeah, obviously that's going to happen. 
So that's, <laughs> that's, that's the version of the story. That's sweet. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And, hey, here we are nearly 36 years later and it's getting better all wow. the time. Yeah, so. That's awesome. Yeah. And mum still reminds dad, um, who the heck is Phil Smith anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as I say, I have never lived it down, particularly with my wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, she's she's crazier than I am. I mean, ask my kids or ask our friends. She's, Maybe. Well, <laughs> might be on okay. She's She's definitely more nuts. Yeah. She's nuttier. <laughs> yeah. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. she is. Well, our second question is, as a legally blind man, I know you must have some pretty funny stories. So what is one of your favorites? Well, there are a lot of funny (laughs) stories, a lot of funny stories. Uh, Talking to a tree in Sydney when we got lost, thinking it was a person asking the tree for directions, Uh, getting my, my kids when they were young love to get their their partially sighted dad or impartially sighted as I mentioned earlier uh, a lot of you know they had a lot of fun and some people oh. would go well you, you like that with your dad's blindness and it, it, so, but we had this understanding of hey let's let's have fun with it instead of seeing it as a problem and being you know kind of super sensitive and stuff and so one time I was uh, we had a cat who was quite dark and um, and from our kitchen dining room area, there was a, a French door that you could see right through, like was like a big window, so to speak. And and uh, our cat would come up to the door and sit outside, and and often I would go and open the door because I could see enough to see there was you know what I thought was a cat. Any one day, Caleb put this dark pullover on the ground where the cat would normally oh. sit, and I thought it was the cat, so I opened the door and it was going like, "Come on in, come on, come on." Come on, Puss, oh. come on, come on. And they were in the background laughing their heads off because it wasn't the cat at all. But but no. I guess my, my favourite story of my uh, journey as an impartially sighted believer was I was I was touring schools in the 90s and got to work with over 80,000 kids and 350-plus schools. And we were in Topor and uh, we were doing it more than one day there so we were in a supermarket buying some food at the end of the day having done a, a combined school cool school event and uh I was walking around with the with the lead singer in the band and he was taking getting the stuff off the shelves and I was pushing the you know the the thing that you put all the goods in you know. the trolley the trolley yeah that's right the word escaping you know, <laughs> so I was pushing the trolley so you got the partially impartially sighted blind man pushing the trolley and the sighted man walking around. So he he was a little kind of looking to the side, not noticing, but there was this very small, rather elder, well, seriously elderly woman walking uh-huh. towards us in the aisle, not realising, because I wasn't holding my blind, blind cane because I was uh, pushing the trolley. And mm-hmm. so she got really, really close, like close enough for me to finally realise that there's somebody walking in the opposite direction, whereas I was just standing there waiting for, for my, you know, the lead singer David to put to get whatever he's getting off the shelves. But when she got close enough, I could tell that, hmm, there's an issue here. So I looked her in the eye and I said, shall we dance? <laughs> anyway, that that's, um, reveals my cheeky nature, but anyway... Yeah. <laughs> That was a favourite, still is a favourite memory. So, uh, One of my favourites is that at my 21st birthday, my dad just walked off the front of the stage. 
And so, <laughs> so I was, that was I was excited. Yeah, yeah. I was having a great time with my twenty-one-year-old daughter. So. It was quite entertaining as well because when he fell off, sort of everyone in the room collectively gasped, except for the immediate family who just burst out laughing, and, <laughs> which made everyone kind of realise, oh, it's okay. This is a normal thing. Um, but, yes. but yes, we've definitely had several instances of walking into things, falling off of things, all that sort of thing, which can be a bit scary. Yes. But overall, entertaining. Yeah, yeah well, talking so, about yeah. walking in, walking into things. So another incident when I was touring the schools, we were up in Auckland actually on this occasion in mm-hmm. South Auckland, and I got out of the van and uh, I walked into a pharmacy. I, I don't know, I was getting some aspirin or something. I, I can't remember what, what I was getting. But anyway, I got out of the van and walked into the pharmacy and made the purchase and walked by walked back out of the pharmacy straight into a pole and oh. so cut, it banged the side of my head and so I walked back and the pharmacy said I also need some sticking okay. plaster a band-aid to go on my head so and David who had long since got used to working with the you know the impartially sighted man was sitting in the van laughing his head oh, off no. so anyway but yeah you definitely have to have a bit of a dark sense of humour when you live with a blind guy, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, awesome stories, Dad. Yes. Um, we're going to get to our main questions now. So our first question for you is, how did you become involved with Bible translation? Well, in short, God had spoken to me way back in the 80s. So we first got connected in 2007. But way back in the mid-80s, I was reading through the Bible and I was up to the the second to last book of Revelation, chapter 21, which is the description of the New Jerusalem. And towards the end of that chapter, it talks about the kings of the earth bringing the glory of the nations into the New Jerusalem. Now, I'd read this several times over the, the years that I'd been saved. And, but many of us who, you know, who are regular Bible readers have the experience that verses or chapters or things you've read many times suddenly come freshly alive in a whole new way. And it comes with a sense that God is wanting to get our attention to a particular thought or a particular notion. And that's what happened. There was, God spoke to me about the glory of the nations and I'm like, the Bible, God's word is saying the nation's glory is going to be brought into the new Jerusalem. So they must have glory. Now, I know for a lot of us these days, the world is perhaps more troubled than it's been before, certainly in our lifetimes. And even back in 86, there was a lot of turmoil going on in the world. And But the Bible here is telling us that basically God has eternal purpose for the nations. And so God has spoken to me, and then in the early 2000s, there was some fresh sense in my heart that God was wanting to revisit that with me. And uh, so in 2007, I had said about, you know, for many years I'd wanted to do a full 40-day fast because I believe in the prophetic, and I had the sense, you know, to maybe have some added authenticity to my 
uh, aspirations to minister in the in the prophetic realm that doing a 40-day fast would would be a good thing to do so I set about and sure enough I did a, a full 40-day fast leading wow. uh, over March leading up to early April and just water for 40 days basically and at the end of that fast I uh, I mean, I all I knew was that I was aware there was an organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators, mm. and I'd once visited a site uh, down in Featherston, and uh, but that's 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 all I knew. And during the mm. fast or at the end of the fast, I just had this sense in my spirit, Bill, ring Wycliffe Bible Translators, the in some way, God is going to show you how Bible translation is part of the glory of the nations. And so I rang Wycliffe Bible Translators uh, New Zealand office in Auckland and introduced myself, and they said, oh, well, you should talk to our director. And I was put straight through to Wayne Freeman, who was the director at the time, and shared my thoughts, and Wayne was like, Phil, you've caught it. You understand, yes, the, the having the Bible in, uh, you know, in every language is an important part of generating because diversity is a part of God's glory, and mm. having, you know, the Bible says every tongue will be around the throne worshiping. Yes. The Bible says every tongue will con- will confess Jesus as Lord, and so long story mm. short. Uh, Wayne said, wow, this is awesome. I'm coming down to Wellington in July. And so he and his wife came down and we had a meal together and spent time sharing vision and praying and cemented uh, a partnership through my daughter and son's music. And it's been happening ever since 2007. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was super, super, super cool. Um to see dad go through that whole process of fasting and, and watch it all happen and he got super, super skinny and all of that sort of thing. And uh, but, then, but then to also see sort of the expanding of the vision from there and then immediately we, we call dad the scud missile because he kind of just <laughs> blows away and then lands surprisingly on the right thing. And, <laughs> and, um, and it was definitely the case with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators and, and meeting Wayne and Kathy, his wife, and hearing the stories of, especially the statistics really was what did it for us where we, we just knew, man, the Bible is so important to discipleship and to people actually developing their relationship with God. And there's still so many people groups without any of it. We have to be a part of that. Yeah, and, and interesting. Actually, Wayne's wife was Carol, or is Carol? Oh yeah, Carol. Yeah, yeah and sorry. Carol herself is um, has quite significantly has quite significantly impaired sight. So yeah. that was kind of added mm-hmm. to the you know to the personal level of the connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love. Um, I love what you said from the interpretation of that verse in Revelations. You said um, God has eternal purpose for the nations. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, our, our next question for you, Dad, is what are some highlights from your time in ministry? Well, there's there's many, but I would have to say the greatest highlight for me 
both in terms of being a you know a born again Bible believing Christian, and in terms of ministry, is the fact that my wife and my three adult children are all fellow Jesus freaks, if I could put it there. That you know, all of us as a family, as individuals, uh, are, are going for it with God and in our different ways. You know, my, my daughter's teaching at a Christian school in Australia. Uh, Esther and Caleb uh, involved. Uh, you know, I, I work with them and for them through our church, through Megamorphic Church, and through... The, the music that we do, you know, we talk about integrated mission, ministry, and master craftsmanship. It's very easy to kind of compartmentalize anything in life, really, and there's a place for that. But it's important, into, or our conviction is that as the church, whether it's our church or the church in general, that for the greatest achievement, you know, there's integrating things so that we're all aware and and all have a realization that we can c contribute in so many more ways when we realize how the whole team functions and what the mm. whole team is called to achieve. So, yeah. yeah. So that that's that's the greatest highlight. But you know, there's plenty of others. During the '90s, I had the awesome privilege of uh, putting together a music-based program and taking it into schools. It wasn't overtly. Uh, Christian music or a gospel message, so to speak. This was going into mostly public schools. However, we ended up working with over 350 schools and over 80,000 kids across New Zealand nationwide. And, you know, the opportunities to to bring schools together, we would ask, you know, the schools are generally broken down into age groups into, you know, perhaps maximum of 30 kids. You know, one school we had 640 kids, uh, children, you know, pupils between the age of 5 and 13 all together for two one-hour sessions, which, yes, most, probably 320 of the 350-plus schools, we had to explain how you could do that, but regularly we would do it and we'd We'd get letters from whole classes, letters from classroom teachers, from school principals saying, hey, since Cool School was at school, the spirit of the school has been changed. There's The kids are getting on better, the young ones relate, and the, there's greater care from the older kids. And that was that was really rewarding. And, you know, um, that, that was a real highlight because, as I say, it wasn't overtly gospel, but... We were serving schools out there in in the community in the uh, you know in the education sector and towards the end of that uh, God spoke to me from Lamentation chapter five verse fourteen which is a pretty obscure verse but it's the prophet Jeremiah lamenting the the dysfunctional state of the nation of Israel and one of the symptoms he talks about there is that because of the dysfunctional state that the elders had ceased from the you know from governing and supporting the next generation and that the mm. young had given up their music and their dance and i felt god said phil my will is in the corollary that when nations and families and communities are a, are in a state of of well-being then there's going to be a lot of creativity 
then the older generation is going to get behind the next generation's creativity and their well-being and their social environment and their lives in general. And so I, God put it in my heart. So Phil, I'm calling you to get behind the next generation and serve. And I, and I want you to, to, to share this wherever you go. So many, even like I grew up as a baby boomer in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And back then they were saying, oh, you know, the kids these days. And I felt God challenged me and said, Phil, I want you to be a dad and a parent and a minister that leads the way and says, people, the kids these days are awesome. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a couple of highlights. Yeah, so our next question is, what have been some challenges you faced in your role working with Bible Translation? Uh, well, perhaps the, the first one I'd mentioned is the lack of response. Mm. People, whether it's church or ministry leaders or, you know, Christians in general, it's not like there's no response because readily leaders and Christians in general will acknowledge what you're sharing. You know, they would say, oh, I understand, or I didn't realize this or whatever. But then very quick to go, oh, but our mission budget is already taken. Or, you know, we, it's not part of our five-year plan or, or whatever. And that, to me, has, that, that's been a huge challenge in terms of not allowing myself to get uh, frustrated or demotivated you know, or, or depressed about the challenge because, you know, as, as you know, Alex, that, the need is huge the, yeah. when we look at the statistics. And kind of related to that challenge is just the ignorance that there is in the body of Christ about yeah. the, the scope of the need, about what's actually involved, you know, um, s- s- comments being made by, you know, well-meaning Christians are like, well, you better make sure that it's being translated from the King James and I'm going, <laughs> clearly these people do not understand the process of Bible translation. and Or even things like, um, you don't, don't they have the Holy Spirit? Yes. You know? <laughs> or, or why don't we just teach them English? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so those, those things, uh, I, they've probably been the main challenges However, you know, the uh, when you know when you're living it day to day, and you also realize just what's involved in a project or what's involved in just the extent of the need, what's involved, then it's also uh, been for us. Because in, in, when we first came on board with Wycliffe, uh, Esther at the time I think was maybe 21 or 19, uh, and she was very young, and she, you know, she's a rock chick, so the music she was making was... Uh, was A bit edgy for uh, some of the, yeah, the well, members. <laughs> well, well, not just some of the members. I mean, a lot of music, even now that, that 
Esther and her brother and we as a team makers, you know, it's just not going to get on mainstream Christian radio because it's it's uh, it's a bit different, you know. And mm. but the question was being asked at the time: so what's a nineteen-year-old rock chick going to do for Bible translation? Because mm. at that time it wasn't a regular thing that Wycliffe would be working with musical artists to you know, help bring an awareness. But mm. Wayne at the time was like. But we're going to go there because uh, we need to get the next generation on board. And so we were in a lot of ways pioneering. We were, you know, we are and, and we're at that stage self-supporting. And so it's, you know, it's not a regular thing. So generally when you approach churches and you're in the context of, of having a band that's wanting to serve and provide ministry, then generally the the first response is okay we'll refer you to the praise and worship pastor or to the youth pastor mm-hmm. and a lot of with a lot of churches the whole perspective is uh you know oh the you know we need to find some fresh entertainment to keep the youth group interested in church and mm-hmm. which is fine i mean we love playing for youth groups and yeah and whatever but it's just like it it seems the church has Christian artists in a box that, oh, well, they provide some music and so we need to find someone else to do some preaching or this is how our youth group works or whatever. And yet, not just with Esther and her brother's music, but with, you know, with plenty of Christian artists, what they bring is a whole lot more than just some music to, to provide, make youth groups seem like fun. You know, mm. and and that yeah. and that's been another huge challenge for us, in terms of, you know, getting out there and and doing the role that we have uh, with Wycliffe to bring an awareness. But that's not to say that that there haven't been successes. But it certainly adds to the challenge when you're, you know, when you're doing something fresh or different, or even the fact that we're aligned with Wycliffe is, it goes. There's plenty of artists who, who support child. Um, sponsorship for example you know which is a a more regular thing so those those are some of the the challenges for sure but what you do raising awareness for Bible translation is so important because you're right there is just a big lack of awareness around the need for it and even just what exactly you know it is yes Um, yeah yeah and I feel like a lot of that stems from I guess in a Western world we've grown up, we've always had a translation of the Bible in our language. And so the not understanding what it's like to not have that, you kind of take it for granted, I think. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, myself, one of the first things I became aware of is, uh, you know, the huge statistics in terms of, you know, the fact that of the 7,100 approximate living languages, there's less than 10% that have a full Bible. And, you know, mm-hmm. over over two thousand that don't even have one verse, and then, you know, as I understand, I'm not sure of the total number, but as I understand it, there are literally hundreds of English versions, mm-hmm. and we've had it for what six hundred years, and so, to me, that's like, <laughs> that's crazy. How, yeah. how can how can that be? You know, and and yet, as you're saying. Uh, it does, I think, in many ways, like lead to an ingrained taking for for granted what we have, because as you know, as a as a minister myself, and having 
been in uh, in church for over 40 years, it, there are statistics, I think pretty reliable statistics, that the number of English-speaking Christians who actually read their Bible regularly uh, is yeah. pretty, pretty dismal, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I actually had a passenger recently. She's a professor at um, one of the colleges in town. Um, she's also Lutheran. And I've talked to so many passengers, and most of them are Christian. You know, we're in Nashville here, which is the Bible Belt, and so most of the time you meet people and, you know, they're at least normally Christian. <laughs> and um, But this woman, she, she was Lutheran, and so I um, began talking to her. She asked how our church had, had done during COVID, and so I, I shared some of the stuff that we do and brought up Bible translation and passing, and she was like, oh, I would love to hear more about this Bible yeah. translation stuff. You know, that's that's our history as an actual church, the Lutheran church. That's where we come from. And um, and it just sort of reminded me as well how ignorant so many people are of the, the history of the Protestant church and the history of um, even Catholicism to realize, like, actually, no, a lot of church history, people didn't have access to the scriptures. Yes. It's actually mm-hmm. a relatively recent thing that um, that we even have access ourselves, even though English translations were available. Um, so, yeah, it was a great reminder for me to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, <laughs> also cool to remember there are there are groups of Christian believers who, who do remember that sort of thing. And, and maybe that's an area that we can speak to and be like, hey, guys, you know, we have this common common thing. Let's uh, let's mm. work from there. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and on top of that, you know, it, it's it's a fact. Men, you know, human beings gave their life so we could have an English translation. Yeah. And yeah, just being connected, being playing our little part in in the Bible translation overall mission and purpose, that's many times you know, challenged me in, in terms of yeah you know when you realize that and that you reminded regularly of those realities that people gave their lives so we could have God's word in our in our mother tongue in our heart language. Surely you would respond to that and go, well, all the more reason I should <laughs> respect it and yeah and yeah, yeah. build it into my life, you know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I think for me as well, working in Wycliffe and hearing and seeing stories of when a community receives the Bible or receives portions of the Bible and how they respond to that, um, you know, they have they host a giant celebration and the way they respect it. it it's a wake-up call for me who's always had the Bible and sometimes takes it for granted. It's like, oh, right, like that's, you know, it's the Word of God. That's how valuable it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one of the things that's that's come to me that I regularly use since getting involved, and maybe it's come in this way because I understand the original saying was, was accredited to someone who was also blind or partially sighted. But, you know, the saying, it says, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, mm-hmm. teach him how to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime, right? Yeah. I think that's a pretty well-known saying. Well, I've added to that, and, and I'm saying, well, okay, if you give a man a translation in his heart language and teach him how to fish for men, 
you'll feed a people group for eternity. Mm. So. That's really cool. Sure. Well, our next question, Dad, is what are some surprising things that you have experienced in the process of what you've been doing? Yeah, good question. Uh, there's been a few. Uh, right now, we're, we're here in the United States. In fact, Waitangi Day, New Zealand's equivalent of July the 4th here in the States, mm. will mark the 10th anniversary of us arriving in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. And uh, so we're planning some awesome roast and roast <laughs> lamb and lamb chops because, you know. You got to do it. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. But <laughs> so we live in a, in a part of greater Nashville, which is the capital of Tennessee, in an area called Hermitage. And Hermitage. It's called Hermitage because is because it's where former uh, President Andrew Jackson lived, and it's he's a, there's still a massive estate here, lots of farmland, and his own mansion is is called the Hermitage. Mm. And uh, Andrew Jackson uh, is a founding member, if not the founder of the Democrat Party, and also a founding member of the Ku Klux Klan, which. Uh, is something many people don't realize, and there's a <clears throat> there's a historic occurrence here in the United States called the Trail of Tears, and the Trail of Tears basically was where and under Andrew Jackson's leadership, Native American Indians and African Americans were driven out of their homeland, and that's basically in many ways how the whole notion of Native American Indian reservations came to pass. But it was done in such a way where, you know, literally hundreds or literally thousands, if not tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Native American Indians and African Americans died because... Well, they, they walked a long distance to the land that they were put on and there was a lot of disease and um, a lot of... Lack of food, lack of you know, yeah. lack of resources, and it was it was enforced. I mean, know, it really was a trail of tears. Yeah. yeah, and so when we bought our house here, we weren't aware of all that history. And about uh, I think May in May twenty twenty, uh, we'd become much more aware of that. We'd become aware of the fact that most, if not all, Native American Indian tribes there are 574 of them registered with the federal government and as best as we know i don't think there's any of them have a full bible in their in their heart language and about may 2020 we felt impressed in the lord hey well i've put you in this area because uh, you have a heart for bible translation and i want you to to be a part of helping translation, not just translation, but all of the social and community and family benefits that happen for people groups, as you know, Alex, when mm -hmm. successful translation projects come to part. So God encouraged us to start to pray specifically for the Native American Indian people groups and particularly Cherokee because uh, Cherokee, which is currently the, the largest tribe, 
that this area is where they were predominantly based until the Trail of Tears. And so we began to pray each Sunday. Uh, we'd go down to a particular parking lot and then walk up the road from that parking lot up to Andrew Jackson's mansion and back and, and just pray. And uh, as we began to do that, I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, Phil, I want you to start a project called Trail of Joy, where we, where, which would be about redeeming history's tears and creating eternity's cheers. And so we've been doing that and uh, we've, we've uh, what's been surprising about that is that we are essentially leading a translation project. Now, uh, bringing awareness to Bible translation in general, that's one thing. Yes. Leading a translation project when you don't have any experience in that sense yeah, uh, that's a surprising call. Yeah. However, um, it, even to, uh, it's it it led to a, a, you know a highly encouraging experience for us back in November, which again was a which was an awesome surprise. So one of our team members, his name's Dan Adams. Uh, he joined us a couple of two and a half years ago and he's a trainee leader with us now and he himself uh, is actually a direct descendant of a very early American president by the name of John Adams that's on his dad's side but on his mum's side I think it's it's either his great it's just his grandma his his grandmother on his mum's side is full-blooded Cherokee right and so Dan uh, when he became aware of our Trail of Joy project. Uh, and uh, he was at this point in his life, we were searching, you know, what am I, what am I meant to be doing? You know, what is my calling, Lord? And God mm-hmm. spoke to him and said, your name's Dan, Disciple All Nations, D-A-N, and mm-hmm. then spelled it out, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, Disciple All Nations in Every Language. And, you know, God calls us by name, which is one of the great things about yeah. the Christian faith, this personal relationship. So Dan uh, got involved with us and, with, and is now focused on helping to lead the Trail of Joy project. And he went to an event in Moravian Falls in North Carolina in November. Which is where a lot of the displaced Cherokee ended up either in yeah. North Carolina or in Oklahoma. Yeah. And so we uh, we sent Dan up and we liaised with the leaders of, of this uh, convention that was happening in Moravian Falls and explained our vision and that we would be really uh, encouraged if Dan was able to meet because there was a lot of Native American Indian leaders and um, Christian Indian Christians in general at the at the event, and yeah. so we asked if Dan could be introduced and if we, he could bring up a, a written outline of our Trail of Joy project. Would they agree to? And so it was a three day event, and Dan was only able to make the second and third day. And but on the early early in the the events on the second day, there was a gentleman from uh, from South Carolina who's who leads a Christian leadership school. Uh, so he's the assistant principal there, and he felt the Lord gave him a word. Uh, he'd never heard of our Trail of Joy project, 
and he felt the Lord spoke to him in, in the morning gathering that God was going to take the trail of tears and turn them into tears of joy and that uh-huh. he should talk to Daniel about it. Now, the previous night, the main speaker's name had been Daniel. So this guy from South Carolina went to that Daniel and said, well, hey, I got this word from the Lord this morning and said, talk to Daniel. Do I take it you're the Daniel? And the guy said, no. <laughs> but the, lead, the the main organizer of the, of the event was standing nearby and heard this conversation and said, well, yeah, it's not him. Let me introduce you to... Our Daniel, you know, so this guy, he said, I know he he has something about a trail of trail of joy. And so the main organizer brought our Daniel to meet this guy who had the word from God, and Daniel handed him the written outline of our trail of joy vision. Wow. And so it's like, wow, that <laughs> that was very exciting for us. And that has now led to a situation where one of the Christian leader, uh, Native American Indian Christian leaders at the event, his name is Dr. Nigel Big Pond, and he's from the Creek Nation, uh, from one of the s- sub-tribes of the Creek Nation, and he's on the uh, board of a nationwide Native American Indian network called Every Tribe DC, and uh, we now have a connection with him, and actually tomorrow we're going to be doing a brief interview with Dr. Big Pond regarding the Trail of Joy project. So um, mm. that, that's that been a uh, huge surprise. Huge surprise and also <laughs> yeah. uh, hugely encouraging for us, of, of course. Yeah, mm. so. Yeah, wow. I love how when you first, like before you knew you were going to get into this project, you said you felt God called you to pray about it. Yes. And that's how it started. It starts with prayer. Uh, I think it's quite encouraging for um, people thinking about how to get involved with Bible translation. You know, everything starts and is based on, you know, prayer. Yeah. 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 Well, on the score of prayer, so we, one of the things as a church, as mega church, it's, or megamorphic church, so, you know, Jesus' most aggressive physical action that's recorded in the scriptures is where he he didn't just take a whip, he made a whip and got among the, the money changers and literally turned their tables upside down yeah. and drove them, physically drove them with the whip out of the building. Yeah. And so, but that was not the purpose. That was the process. The purpose mm-hmm. was, as as Mark's gospel tells us, is that he did that because our Father's house is to be a house of prayer for the nations. Mm-hmm. And in Isaiah 56, it tells us that that house of prayer for the nations should be a joyful place. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about yourself, but I've met plenty of Christians who, if you suggested them that, oh, well, hey, come along, we're going to have a, a prayer meeting for the nations. It's not a hu- common response with there's a huge kind of, oh, yeah, let's go, <laughs> you know what I mean? That'll be <laughs> exciting. But mm-hmm. that's the Bible mandate is that we should be not just pray for the nations we, because we are the house of God. Yeah. We are to be a joyful house of prayer for the nations. And so that's a part of our 
um, our our DNA, if you like, as a church. And so we, as as we did in this earlier in this podcast, you know, so every week we pray for five nations, yeah. and now Dan helps us. So he actually spends a couple of hours each week. And doing some research on the East, each of the five nations, so that we've got some idea of what's going on at present in that nation, and some mm. some brief summary history of the nation, yeah. and and I've found that that's um, it just adds a whole lot of meaning and substance when you're praying for different nations, and mm. yeah, I mean Esther's had regular experiences, which Esther you could talk about where you know you meet, so she drives. As a rideshare driver, she's driven over five thousand passengers over recent years, and it's been a common experience, which Esther can explain a little bit yeah. more. Where you know she meets someone from a different nation, and she knows something real about their nation. So yeah, yeah, it's it's quite incredible. Even just um, even just knowing what languages they speak, or um, knowing you know who their prime minister or their leader might be, or or anything like that. Um, I've recently had an experience where four men got into my car and they were from Afghanistan and they escaped very recently um, and all of the things that have been going on there. And they explained to me that uh, they were on a military plane that had 800 people escaping. And I I did some research on this because I knew knew that that meant something because they were trying to they're, they have quite good English um, because they'd spent a lot of their time in Afghanistan working with the US military, so their, their English had developed through that. But um, it was still, there was still a language barrier. And so I could tell that they were trying to impress upon me how important it was that I understand what it meant that 800 people were on that plane. So I, I did some Googling and I found out that uh, the biggest US plane uh, in the military that is available for transporting people uh, has a maximum load of 400 people. Wow. And they fit 800 people on this plane. Yeah. And um, so pretty wild. And um, just looking into their faces, they were they were so interested about me and so interested about New Zealand and, and, and you know, who I was and how my transition to the U.S. had been. And they're like, you know, it's really hard to leave your country. And I'm sitting there just being like, man, it was hard for me to think about how hard it is for you guys with the language barrier and all that sort of thing. And I just mentioned in passing that I said, isn't it the case that you guys speak uh, Pashto and oh, the other the other language that they speak there um, has lost has gone from my brain. But I knew the two language the two main languages, and they were like, "You know these languages?" And I was like, "Well, yeah. I don't know how to speak them." But they were so excited that I just even knew the names of the languages, and so then I was able to explain to them that my family prays for Five Nations every week, and. Um, they, they were just so blessed that there was someone on the other side of the world play, praying for them. Um, mm. And it really it broke down a lot of stuff. And we were able to have a lot of conversation from there about language and, and all sorts of things. So definitely it, it makes a huge impact on people to be able to tell them genuinely, hey, I've been praying for your nation. And then not just that, that you're not just generically praying for their nation, but that you actually have taken some interest to find out a little bit about them. And then usually they want to share so many more things with you and then it's another mm-hmm. learning experience. So it's, yeah, it's quite powerful and really incredible. Yeah, so, you know, 
we're on our hearts, which I believe God's put this on our hearts, that there will be a generational shift in the church. So what I mean by that is, so when I got saved in 1977, you know, just before the fossils were formed, <laughs> uh, yeah, having a having a drummer in a band at church was very unusual. That was not the norm. Today it's the other way. It's mm -hmm. today it's unusual not to have a band at church. Yeah. Today though, it's n not usual to have a local church gathering. So you know, you some some churches have maybe once a month or occasional gatherings where it's focused on missions. Yeah. And there will mm -hmm. be some prayer for the nations. But it's not the norm to pray for the nations pretty much every time you gather. But we're called to be a house of prayer for the nations. So our heart's cry is that in this next generation, it would become the norm that mm -hmm. pretty much every gathering will be a house, of, a joyful house of prayer for the nations. And you know, it could easily be the case that the body of Christ could become the most informed people across the globe because a part of our inheritance in God is the inheritance we have in the nations. It's, yeah. mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not just come to Jesus and your life will be sweet. It's we actually have exceeding great rewards that God wants us to share in terms of all that we can contribute and serve and be part of generating the glory of the nations. Yeah. So, and, and, and on that score, one of the uh, things that's been a surprise uh, is just the, you know, the, the Bible instructs Christian leaders to bring, to equip the saints to become into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Yeah. To prepare for heaven. And this particularly just loomed larger than it ever has for me last year. And that is that talking about the fullness of the stature of Christ and preparing for heaven. So there is, we know there are 7,100 living languages currently on the planet. God speaks all of those fluently, moment by moment, interacting by his spirit with the people across the earth. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier, in heaven around the throne it's every kindred tribe and tongue that word tongue means native language and so we will have all those 7100 living languages gathered around the throne praising praising and worshiping in a loud voice well the thing that's wild if you think about it is that there have been believers from some dead languages so there'll be more languages yes <laughs> but, but the main point I'm raising here is that as we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, just as happened when the church began, by the way, from its outset, there was 3,000 souls saved. That's a mega church. But anyway, we won't get contentious. <laughs> but my point is, from the outset of the church, it's clear God's will and purpose was that all languages would be part of the body of Christ. And as we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, getting prepared for heaven uh, where we will be able to, like Jesus can, communicate with all those languages, that's going to be an interesting relational journey, right? So let's get started now. Let's become people who become competent at cross-cultural and interlingual 
relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool vision. I love that. That it would be normal in the church together and pray for the nations. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, not Thanks just together. So not not oh, just sorry. together, but to be. To be. Yeah. 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 We're not just doing mm-hmm. it, we're being it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's been really cool to hear all about um, your ministry and what you do. So, would you be able to let us know how people can support you? Well, mainly pray. Mm-hmm. Pray. And then when you're not sure what the answer to the prayer is, then pray some more. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, God has blessed us. We make original praise and worship. It's now and over, listened to and uh, engaged with in over 100 nations. So connect with us, whether it's through the praise and worship band Eversmith or through Megamorphic Church. Connect with us. Because we believe we have uh, some meaningful, some substantive content to offer to people to help them to grow in their, you know, in the awesome journey that it is that we have in Christ. Yeah. And so just subscribe, find us online, and uh, we'd love to relate and serve. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and people also, the um, Joyful House of Prayer for the Nations resource, we actually have that available for people to be able to pray along with us for these groups of nations. Um, And, you know, if you're following along with the Story of Hope podcast, you can get all of this research that Dad talked about of these people groups that we're we're praying for. Um, you, You can get access to the statistics that we have on where they're at with Bible translation, where their literacy rates are at, what languages are spoken, all of that sort of thing. So that's all available to be signed up for as well. So that's another way you can support, especially in prayer, but just in in terms of self-supporting too, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> well I mean, speaking of literacy, that's, that's also been a, a surprise for me and a major eye-opener for me is that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in the Christian world and and in general, to, you know, to give money towards situations where people are not as well off or not as well developed. But what's been a major revelation for me is that the powerful impact that Bible translation has in terms of people's level of literacy, and literacy is is a powerful long term. Uh, factor in terms of growing people's sustainable lifestyles and just their overall uh, wealth and growth as as communities and families. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, well, as always, for everyone listening, um, you can also support the Story of Hope podcast by like, commenting, subscribing, um, and sharing this. Um, And stay tuned for the next episode um, next month. Thanks for watching and listening. Bye, everyone. Uh, Goodbye.